We uh, are going through the series, but many of you are like, I just spent a whole week of my life at VBS, and I, I'm, I'm barely alive right now. So um, we're going we're gonna to do a sermon this morning, and I just want to say I'm with you in that. This was like an incredible week. It was so tiring, so fun for our kids. We had the most kids we've ever had at a VBS before, Village Ventures. Pretty awesome. So thank you. <clears throat> many of you... Uh, served alongside us, and uh, it's just like we, I knew it would feel this way, it just feels like we just, we returned from battle, and uh, we made it to the other side. We started something this year for the first time where uh, we always slime somebody at the end of the week, and we've come up with different ways that the kids can kind of like fight it out of who gets slimed, some like representative of their teams or whatever. This year we did a slime box, and so if a kid is like caught showing good character, they'd get a ticket, and they could pick any adult leader to put their name on it and put it in the box, and then we would draw the names. I thought this was a good idea. And uh, (laughs) if you were part of the leader meeting, you remember when I pitched it as a good idea. And if you were there last week, you now know that it was not a good idea uh, because we basically turned our beautiful church sanctuary into a, a propaganda war machine of campaigning and, um, lies and deceit. There was counterfeit ticket printing. Uh, (laughs) And I was heavily involved in all of that. Uh, (laughs) Someday we'll tell you, if you were not there, what we experienced. Um, But thank you. (laughs) A lot of videos. But I just want to say, if you served with us this week, man, you really served our kids. This is like absolutely my most favorite uh, Village Adventures we've ever had. Um, We got to really share the gospel with these kids. We don't only do propaganda uh, ticket-related things. We do all sorts of games and crafts that reinforce the Bible stories that our kids are learning. And so what an incredible time that we had together. So thank you for being here. I know so many of you are... um, really spent, and you poured yourself out for our kids and for, for the gospel, so thank you. This summer, we're in a series called Prayers of the Bible, and every week, we're going to be looking at a different passage of the Bible um, that features a, a really powerful prayer that we can um, learn from. We learn a lot about prayer in these passages. More importantly, we learn a, a lot about God and the character of God, and we learn a lot about dependence on God. And so we should grow in our faith as we look to these prayers and we consider the fact that God hears our prayers as he heard their prayers and he answers them. And so this morning we're in the book of 2 Kings and we get to bounce around um, through the summer. It's something we don't usually get to do, just bounce from place to place. And so we need to know where we are. These events take place around 700 B.C., And we've seen um, throughout these surrounding chapters many kings who have turned from God and turned towards idols. And they're they're afraid of the world around them, and they compromise on God's word. But we learn quickly that Hezekiah is a godly ruler. And we get some of this background just one chapter back in chapter 18. Let's read it together. It says, In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, 
And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. So we get background on Hezekiah. He's a godly king. And in this time, there's one particular enemy, the king of Assyria. He was a huge threat to all of the nations. And all of these nations had begun to fall to the kingdom of Assyria and their powerful army one by one. And now Hezekiah is reigning over Judah. And the king of, Israel, of Assyria is taunting the people of Jerusalem and their king. And he's telling them, you're going to be defeated just like everybody else. You should surrender before you are crushed because your God will not rescue you just as the other gods of the other nations did not rescue them. And so that's where we get to our main passage this morning in chapter 19, verse 8. We'll read this and then we'll get into the prayer of Hezekiah. Verse 8. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Terhakeh, king of Cush, behold, he is set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah saying, thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden, who were in Telassar. Where's the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? So at this point, nobody's arguing that the king of Assyria is having success. Hezekiah knows this, and certainly all of the dead kings of the conquered nations would agree, this guy's doing a good job. You can't possibly imagine the terror that you would face in the ancient world under this type of warfare. We live in a place where cities just kind of flow together. You could go for a drive right now and you don't even know you're driving through 10 different cities. But in these days, many cities would be self-contained and they'd have walls. And in the good days, the city walls would keep the enemies out. But in times of war, you would live in fear that you could be surrounded and they would choke you off. And you'd have to start rationing food and supplies. Imagine going to bed at night knowing that your enemies are surrounding you and your resources are going down day after day. Think about some of the heavy things that parents have to carry with them as they try to put on a good face for their children. Many, many of you have raised young children. You think of nights when you put them to bed. And in your mind, you just know, man, like, our budget is just not working this month. Or 
there's some health things going on in our family that we're just carrying that inside and you just tuck your kids in bed and you smile and you tell them tomorrow's going to be a fun day, but you carry a heaviness. Imagine putting your kids to bed knowing that outside the walls of your city there's hundreds of thousands of enemy soldiers who are waiting to enter and terrorize and slaughter. This is brutal warfare, of course, physically, but emotionally and psychologically. You can imagine for Hezekiah, the king of a nation, the emotion of all this. And so God's people are carrying these burdens, the, the anxiety of it all. Sometimes I like to help the nerds in the room, so I'm going to put this in like Lord of the Rings terms. This is like Helm's Deep, but less elves, okay? So like almost pretty sure zero elves. And into the heaviness of this comes the king of Assyria, and he's going to taunt them, and he's going to dangle before them an opportunity for peace. And the idea is, don't trust in your God. Just admit that your enemy is too powerful and just give up. And this is the backdrop for the prayer of Hezekiah that we get to read today, because in the moment that they are surrounded by enemies, we see in verse 14, Hezekiah receives a letter, and this is what he does. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. You can imagine what all would have been contained in this letter. A lot of threats of violence, what's going to happen to you, threats of destruction, all the lists of all the examples and all of your friends who are dead, and propositions for peace and mockery of God. But we see a really simple response from Hezekiah to the letter. It says, he took the letter and he spread it before the Lord. He took the problem that he faced. He took the source of his fear and anxiety and he spread it before the Lord in the midst of everything going on around him. And really we see he makes the right decisions step by step. He takes the letter and he goes into the house of the Lord and lays it before the Lord. You think of situations in life, we think of this, there's so many ways he could have handled this wrong. I think most of it fits into two categories. One would be you don't lay it out at all. You just avoid it. You run from it. The second would be that you don't lay it out before God. You don't lay it out before the one who can truly help. We all know option one. That's just when you run away from your problems. A lot of us are good at this. <laughs> you just try to ignore everything and you hope that it goes away. Some of you guys do this with jury duty. <laughs> Comes in the mail, you just toss that thing in the trash. This is why I have jury duty next week because you, none of you, show up. So I'm just carrying the California legal system on my shoulders year after year. The first way you can go wrong is very simple. You just avoid the problem. The second way you can go wrong is you don't avoid it, but you seek the wrong savior. And so we see really three things here. You avoid the problem, or you can seek a savior 
But it matters what you seek. It matters who you seek. Because you can seek yourself or you can seek God. You can try to run away or you can take the problem to yourself. But the answer, of course, is to take it to God. I like this passage because uh, we look at a lot of passages of Scripture and I think at Village Church, you know how we do things when we open up God's Word. It's not a history class, right? Like, it would be really comfortable if, like, my next five slides were, like, here's some renderings of ancient Assyrian weaponry and a map of the city walls. You know, personally, I think they should attack from the south. That's just me. Divide the room. Do, like, some role play. Pass out some swords. what we know when we come to God's word is we can only we can only talk about the history and the things that happened 3,000 years ago we can only talk about these things for so long right before we have to ask ourselves what does this mean for us for our hearts the king of Assyria is not a threat to your life right now correct me if I'm wrong we have a lot that we can learn from this passage because we read it and we say that's that's a crazy story about two nations on the other side of the world 3,000 years ago. But the Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit convicts us and says, what about you, though? Are you bringing all things before the Lord? Are there things that you don't want to face right now? Are there things that you're trying to solve on your own right now? We do this well. We have spreadsheets, and we have plans, we have goals. We have ideas of how to fix things. But ultimately, it's still us. And God's not asking us to be the solution to everything. I was thinking about these three options here that we see on this little tree here. The first being, you know, avoid the problem. Or the second being seeking a savior. You think about avoiding the problem. We think about childishness, just running away. Or foolishness or fear driving these things. When I seek myself as a savior, we think about pride of that, overconfidence of that. I think I'm good enough to figure this out. When we think about seeking God as savior, we see humility, we see wisdom, we see faith. And so Hezekiah, he chooses the path of trusting God from the beginning. And he's not looking for a new path now because things have gotten hard. And so Hezekiah is not going to be taken off of the road that he has set out on. We saw this in the very beginning that Hezekiah was a man who feared the Lord. He tore down the false idols and he led the people back to trusting in God. And he's not going to get off of this road because the king of Assyria is tempting him with an easier path. He just says, I've been trusting in God for a long time. Am I going to change that now because things are getting harder? When he became king, he trusted in God. And that was the right decision. And now he's facing death and suffering. Does he stop trusting in God? Does he question all that God has done? We do this all the time, right? Maybe you give sacrificially to your church or you give sacrificially to a missionary and then Monday morning you get hit with a financial crisis that just beats you down and you start saying, I, 
I knew I should have just held on to that money. You know? I knew I should have just had a buffer, something to keep me safe. Talk to a lot of single people in this church and, and how just God-fearing they are and how gospel-centered they are and how they approach dating and singleness. And it's so impressive and to hear them say, like, I'm not going to date someone who doesn't love Jesus, but after years of waiting, the temptation is there to start saying, what's the point of doing this God's way? You're a teenager, you're in school, and everyone in school is cheating on the tests and cheating on the papers. <laughs> I remember that. And you choose to have integrity, and so you're stuck studying at night, and nobody who cheats on anything ever seems to get caught. You start finding yourself saying, well, what's the point? I wrote this down for us this morning. And God's people don't question their obedience to God based on the always changing circumstances of the day. Rather, we wake up every day and recommit our obedience to God based on the never-changing character of God. Does that make sense? We don't question our obedience to God based on the ever-changing circumstances of the day. This is what Hezekiah is doing. He's saying, I'm going straight back to God. God has led me this far, and now I'm facing death. My kingdom is looking like it's going to be the next one that is toppled. I'm going straight back to God. We just sang that song, How Good Is He? <laughs> we get to spend like four minutes just singing about how good God is to us. And then the writer of the song saves the last verse at the very end to simply say, if he never did another thing for me, he's all I'll ever need. That's the kind of song that you sing on the path that Hezekiah is on. That's the kind of song you sing on a path of unconditional obedience to God. It's the kind of song you sing on a hard path of trusting in the character of God, even when the world around you is just burning down. And there's armies of enemies that surround you. It's the kind of song you sing when the people who laugh at God and laugh at morality, the people who cheat and lie, when it seems like they're always winning. That's the kind of song we sing. Like God has done enough to earn our trust for a lifetime. Does that make sense? And so we keep going. Verse 15, Hezekiah now prays out to God this short prayer. He says, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. <laughs> so we get to our prayer, and the foundation of Hezekiah's prayer is very simple. The foundation is that God is God. 
And this is the first and most important reality for him. He doesn't lay out the letter before his military commanders. He doesn't lay out the letter before the elders and the wise men of the city. He just lays out the letter before his God. And he says, God, you alone are the creator of the universe. Would you look upon our situation? And the alternative here is that we look to ourselves, right? The alternative is, is pride. And this hits me hard because I, I love strategy and I love planning and I love thinking about how I'm going to get out of a situation, how I'm going to dig my way out of something or plan my way through something. Some of you guys take those personality type surveys in school or for your job and and then they tell you like some personality type that you are based on what you took. And then, and then they give you a list of like all the famous people and it says, these are the famous people that have your same personality type, right? And so whenever I take one of these surveys, I always get a list of people who are really strategic and people who are really evil and just conquer things. <laughs> So it'll say like Steve Jobs, that's cool, made the iPod. And it'll say Elon Musk, I like rocket ships, that's cool. And then it'll take a dark turn. And it'll just list out every evil dictator in world history. And I'm always like, did you have to list those guys? You know? <laughs> Something that really hit me this week is just this idea where I always find myself saying, like, I'm a strategic person. I can figure this out. Or maybe you say, I'm an organized person. I can sort this out. Or you say, I'm a cautious person, so I'll be fine. And this is how we tell ourselves that we're going to be okay. But God's up in heaven, and he's saying, you're putting the emphasis on the wrong word, right? <laughs> it's not that you're a strategic person or an organized person. More importantly, you're a person, right? This is the foundation of the universe, that, that we are not God. This has to be the starting point of how we evaluate everything that we face. The first step that I take in every conflict, in every decision that I make, everything that's placed before me is that I recognize the deepest reality that, that there's a creator and I belong to him, and I am not him. It says, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. That's why in the Old Testament, God has a track record of getting very angry when we try to size ourselves up for the battle. Second Samuel chapter 24, David takes a census of the nation, and God just about loses his mind over it, right? You read your Bible and you're like, God is very anti-counting, okay? <laughs> I think God needs to calm down. I mean, I would have counted them. I, I would have been curious. I want to know how many dudes do we have, right? God is angry with the census. Why? Because David is wanting to size up his own army so that he can, in his own human reason, decide what battles are winnable and what battles are not winnable. And God does not like that, right? 
God is saying, stop telling yourself you are okay because of the stack of resources that you have behind you. I wrote this down for us. We are not meant to relieve our anxieties by counting our resources. We're meant to relieve our anxieties by considering our God. Does that make sense? Hezekiah understands this. His prayer reflects this. What do our prayers reflect? What do your prayers reflect? Are we able to pray like this? He continues, look at his prayer, verse 17. He says, Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. This part of the prayer is referring back to the threats that were made in verses 11 through 13. Look at it with me. It says, Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? He lists off all the nations that have fallen to Assyria. So what's Hezekiah saying? He's saying, I've seen the disaster that has come upon many people, but I will not compare myself to them because I have you, God, right? They put their hope in foolish idols, fake gods carved out of wood and stone. That is why they were destroyed. He says, essentially, have you heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands? Of course we have, but their story is not our story because their God is not our God, right? I think the idea this morning is that the greatest giants that we face, they're not that big. They're not that tough. Do they have a track record of destruction? Absolutely they do. But they have no track record of defeating God. They have no track record of defeating God's people. Look at the word therefore in the last sentence, right? Therefore, they were destroyed. What is the therefore describing? The fact that they built their lives and their nations on worthless idols of wood and stone that they would worship. Hezekiah's prayer simply says, yeah, I get all of that. But I don't believe these nations were destroyed because the kings of Assyria are all powerful and undefeatable. They were destroyed because they trusted in themselves. And along came another nation that also trusted in itself, except they had a lot more chariots and a lot more swords. And at a certain point, it's just chariot math, right? When you take God out of the equation, all of these things make sense. You're just counting soldiers and chariots and strategies. But God is saying, look, if I'm in the battle, you don't need to count chariots. Everything is meaningless. Every calculation is worthless if God is in the battle. 
Instead, the calculations for God's people become very simple. They look like this. If you are building your life on worthless things, you can expect to fail. If you are building your life on God, you can expect to win. Very simple. I remember when I was in high school, I heard a sermon from a guest speaker. And he used this illustration where he talked about watching live sports and how sometimes you, you like recorded a, a sports game of your favorite team and you were so excited to come home and watch it. But on your way home, maybe you accidentally checked your phone or you accidentally turned on the radio, right? Many of you guys have dads that will just lose their minds if you ruin the sports score of that game that they taped for 72 hours and... And you're mad at yourself because you ruined the ending and you know the outcome of the game, but you still watch it anyway. And so you watch it differently. You watch it expectantly. You turn it on, start it like halfway. My team's down by a touchdown. Third quarter, but I already know they win. Then they go down two touchdowns. And you're like, this is, this is actually going to be really good. I can't wait to see how they come back. Here comes a beautiful comeback, and then they fumble the ball, and you're like, how is this happening? And then you remember, like, that's right, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. And then, but then it comes back to you, and you say, no, 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 I saw the end score, unless maybe I saw it wrong, right? Like, you start doubting yourself. But the whole time, you're just saying, I can't wait to see how they come back from this. How could they be down this far so late in the game? If I didn't know the end of this story, I might have turned the TV off in anger. I would be in the kitchen just crushing snacks in pure rage. But instead, I'm focused, I'm expectant, and I can't wait to see how they pull this off. Let me just say clearly, Village Church, we're a group of people who face a lot of struggles, a lot of pain, a lot of setbacks, a lot of obstacles and disappointments in life. But I hope you see really clearly <laughs> that you can wake up and just say, I can't wait to see how God pulls this off. Amen? Yeah. We're not a people without pain. We're not a people without suffering. But we are a people who are expectant and we just get to watch God write his story in our lives. This is true for us as a church. This is true for us as individuals in this room. It's been so fun being in a prayer series. I want to give you a chance to close your eyes and talk to God. Just think through some of these things before we finish up our last verse. As you close your eyes, I'm just thinking there's probably something in your life right now that feels very heavy to you. It feels like it is surrounding you. And when you think about it, you just cannot see how it could have a good ending. Would you think about that thing this morning? We have a whole room full of people 
thinking about things in life that are heavy, things that are painful. I couldn't possibly know all of these stories, but I think there's some things that we can speak over you with confidence this morning. As you think about all these things, we just say really clearly, God, God is not making any mistakes right now. And God is not in danger of losing any battles right now. And God is not forgetting to pay attention to your life right now. You can believe that God is in all things and working through all things. You can believe that God has every resource. You can believe that every good and perfect gift is from above. Does God not have heavenly storehouses to pour out at any moment? Does God not command armies of angels? You can open your eyes. Village Church, I just say, can you imagine living life without that God? What a gift it is. And if you're joining us this morning and you don't know this God, I can just say there's... Thing I say with confidence, there's nothing else to hold on to in this world, and good days might feel good. Your life might feel like it's pretty sturdy or stable house, but a lot of houses feel very stable before the storms come, right? What a good thing it is to know God. Christians believe that God has done something a lot more amazing than saving Jerusalem from one particular enemy on one particular day. And ultimately, they're all dead now anyway, right? Christians believe that King Hezekiah was just the tiniest shadow of the true King Jesus who would come 700 years later and die for our sins. And just like Hezekiah led God's people to trust in God and take away the threats of armies on their physical lives that day. Jesus comes to earth. He suffers and dies and says, now you can trust in God that he will take away the consequences of sin and death that are on your soul for all eternity. And so 2 Kings chapter 9 is just the tiniest glimpse of what real salvation looks like for God's people. There's nothing that separates us from God for those who believe. Amen? Yes? So we have one more verse. Look at verse 19. Hezekiah wraps up this prayer. He says, So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. If you keep reading in the passage, you see that the prophet Isaiah comes and tells Hezekiah, The Lord has heard your prayer. And that very night, it says the angel of the Lord struck down the Assyrian army, and in the morning, 185,000 soldiers are dead. And it goes on to tell us the end of the king, Sennacherib. Not only did he never step foot in Jerusalem, which was what God promised through the prophet Isaiah, But it says he returns to Nineveh, he goes into the temple to worship his false god, and he struck down and killed 
by his own sons. So it'd be you'd categorized as a tricky bedtime story if you have young children. <laughs> I want to put this slide up again. If you're building your life on worthless things, you can expect to fail. If you're building your life on Jesus Christ, you can expect to win. This week at Village Adventures, everyone's running around, and one of our leaders, Sai, he was wearing a shirt with a quote from a famous missionary, William Carey. Many of you guys know this quote. It says, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. My oldest daughter for the last couple of weeks has been reading um, the biography of William Carey at night before she goes to bed and she saw Cy wearing this shirt and she was so excited. And if you know anything about William Carey, he was, he's known as the father of modern missions. He really kind of established this idea of going wherever God calls you around the world, being funded and sent out to places that are, don't have the gospel. He spent 40 years living in India, learning the languages and translating the Bible and planting churches and training missionaries. He gave his life. He gave everything. And when I think about the life of William Carey, I was thinking, this idea of winning, <laughs> you build your life on Christ, you can expect to win. Winning doesn't always look like what we think it should look like. Just thinking back on his life, and I don't think William Carey felt like he was winning all the time. <laughs> I don't think he felt like he was winning when he was facing extreme poverty and lack of funding. His family is sick. I don't think he felt like he was winning when he spent years learning the Bengali language and he had to spend the first seven years just creating a dictionary so that he could try to translate the Bible. And all the while, the Hindu religious leaders were threatening their lives and publicly burning transcripts as a threat to his ministry. I don't think he felt like he was winning when just a couple years after arriving in India, he had to bury his five-year-old son in the ground. But for our God who sits on the throne and the angels in heaven who look down upon the earth, it was never in doubt, right? We don't judge God's character or God's plans based on the outcomes of life. Very simply, you look at the life of someone like William Carey, he weighed the cost, he sought the Lord in prayer, he knew he was sent by God, he set the course. And so from that point forward, <laughs> we evaluate his life based on his commitment to the plans of God. He was winning because he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself, so much so that he gave his life to tell them about Jesus. And so he was winning because he was on the path of obedience to God. And God is most certainly winning, right? But if you zoom into the details of life and the daily struggles, you might say, if I was the king of Assyria, I know exactly how I'm going to mock you. 
I know exactly how I'm going to mock your story. I'm going to say that's a lot of tears for a guy who's supposedly winning. That's a lot of tears for a guy who's supposedly walking hand in hand with his powerful God. That's a lot of dark days for a guy that you claim is winning. And maybe that will be my story for many days and many years. And maybe that will be your story for many days and many years. Maybe people would look upon you someday and say, it's <laughs> a lot of tears. That's a lot of dark days for someone who claims to have a God who loves them. I think the Bible is clear. William Carey was winning because God loves him and God is on his side. Hezekiah was winning because God loves him and God is on his side. And so are we when we stay on this path of unconditional obedience to God. Amen? Yeah. Some good news for us this morning. Christ has rescued us and brought us to his side. So we can stay with Christ through every battle that surrounds us. That's good news for us, Village Church, yeah? I'll give you a chance to talk to God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> so much here for us. And I want to give you a chance to just talk to your God and say to God that you're not looking for the path of least resistance. You just want to be on the path to the end. So I'm going to give you a chance in the quiet to tell God all the ways that you haven't been trusting him, maybe some things that you haven't brought to him, maybe confess some things that you just continually bring to yourself and to your own wisdom. I'm just give you a chance to talk to God before we sing together, all right?
God, we just uh, we bring these things before you. You're a good God. You're worthy of our trust. You've shown that time and time again. We ask that you just be worshipped as you deserve. Amen.